Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 146, and I sat down with Mr. Al Snow. He is a wrestler. He's a, he would Those of you who know wrestling would know him from Extreme Wrestling and WWE and Impact Wrestling. He's a commentator. Uh, he is a promoter. And he also has uh, wrestling training centers, OV wrestling, uh, all, all over the place. And he talks about that as well uh, in this episode. Uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling is what that OV stands for. Uh, we chatted a little bit about his book that's coming out. At the time that we talked, he didn't know exactly what the title was going to be. I have the title here. Uh, it comes out in April 2019, and it is called Self-Help Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow. And, of course, on the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com, you're going to find a link to that book. The pre-orders are already up on Amazon, so definitely check that out. There's a bunch of stuff on the links page for this episode that I think you will enjoy. Now, I met Al in Louisville, Kentucky, when I had gone to uh, have my conversation with Evander Holyfield. Uh, so I just lucked out. I got so many interesting people that weekend. And we I went and met Al at the training facility slash place they were going to have the event later that night. So there's some hubbub going on uh, when he and I are talking. You can hear them building this, the uh, ring uh, a little bit, and it sounds like people are wrestling above our heads uh, for a minute as well. But mostly, it's just you can hear us talking, and then the, the distractions aren't too bad. Uh, in the beginning, in the beginning, it's a little bit distracting. But I know you'll soldier through because when we when I go and do these remote uh, episodes, you can't help what happens in the ambient noise, and you just do the best you can. So I appreciate that that you all listen and and hang in there with me. It was such an interesting time, uh, conversation with Al. He is really fascinating. What a life he's lived. All the different people he has been in his wrestling career, uh, all the hats he's worn, all the heads he's carried. That will make sense later. <laughs> Just a really cool guy. Uh, I've learned so much. I, didn't, I don't know anything about wrestling other than what I learned from that show, Glow. Uh, with Mark Marin that came out and a host of really talented women about female wrestling. And that was really interesting to watch. Um, but I digress. Um, oh, but I'll digress some more and say that I finally watched uh, Bo Burnham's movie 8th Grade that's on Netflix right now. Oh my gosh. It's it's a kind of a hard watch. It's really excellent. It's an excellent movie. But man, did that stir up some memories of being in eighth grade, which sucked. I don't know how it was for all of you, but I did not enjoy my junior, uh, my junior high school experience. Uh, so anyway, it, it was, it was a good watch, painful in parts, uh, just awkward and uncomfortable. So that really speaks to the fantastic cast and, and Bo for writing it. Anyway, uh, I'm not being paid to plug that. I just thought if y'all are interested, that's a really good movie. Although, again, it might, it might kick up some bad memories. It's funny, just one more thing. It's funny because it's not like it's, um, it's not your usual junior high slash high school movie. It's not like there's an obvious bully or someone's being picked on incessantly. It's really well done in that it's, it's just from the perspective of what it feels like to be in that time. 
and that everything is heightened. Every experience is like what is happening right now. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it captured it really well. So I really enjoyed Roma too. If we're just going to go there and well, and by we, I mean me, uh, I thought Roma was really, really excellent, beautifully done. I know a lot of people criticized the fact that it, it was a whole lot of nothing and then all of a sudden big drama and then a whole lot of nothing. But I, that's why I liked it because it felt very real. I felt like uh, an interloper in someone's life, voyeur, um, and uh, which I, I enjoyed it and it was beautifully shot which I think he won an Oscar for that, actually. Um, anyway, on and on and on. Next week, our episode is very interesting. It is uh, with Mr. Eric Kellum. He uh, is a writer uh, and a pastor. And the book he wrote is all about how he was addicted to porn. And that was a very enlightening conversation. So uh, check that out next week. All right, the usual stuff. Uh, I won't take too much time now that I've rambled on about movies and such, but Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. I am on all those places under Hey Human Podcast, as well as Susan Ruthism. There's no Twitter for Hey Human, so you'll just find me under Susan Ruthism there. You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. If you dig music, check out susanruth.com. I've got uh, music on iTunes, blah, blah, blah. You can (laughs) check all that stuff out. Uh, if you shop Amazon, please go to the Amazon portal on the HeyHumanPodcast.com website. It's right there on that front page. Click on the portal, take into Amazon, shop like you normally do, and it helps support Hey Human. So please do that if you are so inclined. Also rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. And I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but I can't think of what it is. So let's get to it. Mr. Al Snow, uh, wrestler. So cool. Here we go. Al Snow. Yes. Welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate you having me on the yeah. show. Yeah. Um, I know nothing really about wrestling. That's okay. I don't uh, know anything about Hey Human. Either. Oh, there you go. Except <laughs> so for you are a, a, yeah. you're a human. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have, your whole career has been in the various aspects of, of pro wrestling. Uh, yeah, I started when I was 18. Uh, 1982. Uh, I've been a professional wrestler for 36 years. Um, I've been a commentator for WWE. Uh, hosted a television show on MTV. It was called Tough Enough, which was uh, like training to be professional wrestler. Um, I've owned my own training school before. Uh, I have training schools all over the world. Um, I have five in the UK, one in Denmark, one in Romania, one in Portugal, one in Greece, two in Chile. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I just purchased uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling, which was uh, formerly was the developmental program or location of the developmental program for WWE um, before they consolidated all of their developmental talent into Florida now, which is NXT, mm-hmm. uh, Full Sail University. Um, a bit of promoter uh, at times, and uh, the only thing I haven't done is I have not been a referee. Interesting. Are right, you interested in that? No. No. <laughs> no. If I have to, I would do it, but I, I don't have an interest in it. So, how did at the very beginning, eighteen? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty young start. Yeah. What um what prompted it? How did you get? Did did you always wrestle around? Or I mean, there's so I... much to it, you know. 
I made a conscious decision when I was 14 that that was what I wanted to do. And Did you have an idol that you thought, oh, I want to be just I like watched, that? I uh, watched wrestling and, and was just enamored with all of it and uh, and just was so captivated by it that, you know, and to be, to be quite honest, like people ask, why why would you choose to pursue that? And to quite honest, I don't know. Still to this day, I have no idea. I, I don't know what it is or that I find so appealing that makes, you know, I've been so passionate about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, it's been, I've done it for 36 years and I've never once regretted doing yeah. it. It's just been, it's amazing. I remember being in high school and going to some of the, the wrestling matches there. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, you know, I, I, I'm assuming, I mean, I've watched some pro wrestling stuff on, on TV. There's a lot of pageantry. Yes. There's a lot of character and story. So wrestlers take take the wrestler from high school and then take the wrestler from the WWE they're they're acting and juggling and and putting on a show as well as knowing the the backbone of what wrestling is is that correct sort of yeah um uh, professional wrestling is like it's an art form it's mm-hmm. it's it's basically just physical storytelling um uh and it's probably besides jazz it's the only other real american art form there is mm-hmm. everything you know uh Around the world, um, all professional wrestling has kind of been dictated by what's occurred here in the United States. This is where it started? Well, it didn't start here, per se. It, uh, it started in other countries, um, and other countries had their own distinct styles. Because um, Mexico it's really big. And Mexico is still very big, and yeah. they still have a very distinct uh, style, which they call Lucha Libre. Um, um, and it is a def- it is definitively different. Um, there's a different psychology to it uh, than there is to American style professional wrestling. But um, they've taken a lot of aspects of the pageantry and the presentation and the production from American style wrestling. Mm-hmm. Now in Europe and in the UK, they had a very had a very different style. Some of it was dictated based on um, the uh, censors in uh, for TV in uh, the UK, mm. uh, not allowing uh, things that looked too violent. Interesting. Um, but like for one distinct difference is that they they would wrestle in rounds, so you know that's very different from where it is here, where it's you you know typically the matches were from you know uh, a time limit of ten minutes or fifteen or twenty. Um, they're wrestling upstairs right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you would, you know, they would do three to five rounds or six round mm-hmm. matches. American wrestling's not like that. Um, American wrestling is not like that. It's never, never. I don't know. Rounds. I have this image in my head of I remember Bugs Bunny wrestling with the and there was somebody walking oh, around. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the with, with the, the number with the, the ring card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, with the rounds on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they just kind of. Took some uh, artistic liberty. Yeah, yeah. You had a lot of just doing some little bit of research because I mean I just learned of you yesterday. Yeah. And, and which is so cool that you were said yes to be on the show. But um, that you have had a lot of different characters that you've played. Did yeah. you come up with those? How does that work? Well, um, I, the thing is, is that I didn't really have a whole lot of different characters until I got to WWE. And then they were 
trying to find something that worked for me. Mm -hmm. um, because that's the most important thing for uh, a wrestler or really any kind of performer is to find your voice, find that thing that resonates with the audience and that they can describe to their friends and family in a sense or less. Mm. And they, oh, you got to go watch the show uh, or see this guy or this girl and they because they're A, B, C, D, E. If the audience can't do that, they can't turn to their friends and family and do that in that sentence or less, it's very unlikely that you're going to be really successful or it's going to be a lot more of a challenge mm -hmm. anyways. And uh, I spent maybe uh, 14, 15 years, um, everybody claiming that I was really good, but... Really good at wrestling? And in, in performing in the ring, mm -hmm. but I didn't have a, that persona. I didn't have that personality. I didn't have that thing that they could identify with me and, and uh, connect with me. Mm -hmm. And then um, I actually went and had, had trained a former student of mine uh, his name was Dan Severn, and was a very accomplished uh, amateur wrestler, and he wanted to go to the UFC, which this was in their early, early days, and um, asked me to train him for that, and we worked together, and I accompanied him to the, to the uh, octagon, and, um, you know, he, that was when they would do it in, a, like, a tournament. You had to fight three times on the same night, and he had won his second fight, and the uh, commentator came over and was asking him questions. And Dan's not real good as far as talking. And, um, you know, I, I got kind of frustrated and I made some smart-ass smart, smart -ass comments. And um, a promoter who had a operation in Tennessee had known me for years. Jim Cornette had known me for years. Never had an interest in bringing me in to do anything. Uh, saw me on that. And uh, and saw me being a smart aleck, and was like, "That's it. I, You're going to be the smart ass." The next thing you knew, he gave me a call and brought me right in, and, and you know, and then that led to an opportunity with uh, WWF, and then that was where I started getting different characters that they were trying to give me that didn't work. They weren't really me. They I, they didn't come across. And uh, I just kind of floundered mm -hmm. uh, for a period of two years. And then um, I uh, got put on loan to another smaller uh, regional company uh, called ECW. Goodness gracious. Many Christmas. <laughs> called what now? Uh, ECW. Uh -huh. and, uh, and then that was where I had um, developed the character where I, I talked to a, a mannequin head. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting. I saw, I saw on some interview that you said that you had... Been studying abnormal psychology. Yeah, I was reading a book on abnormal psychology. And, and that then you thought, oh well, two heads are better than one. Well, there was a woman. <laughs> she had, you know, she had uh, uh, multiple personality. No, she had schizophrenia. Um, schizophrenia. Yeah. Uh, and then she also had they call it transference, where she transfer her illness onto what she heard voices from. Mm. So she'd hear like the voice coming from the chair. Well, the chair was crazy. She wasn't. Like the son of Sam saying the dog was exactly. telling him to kill people. Yeah, but the, the transference is where the person believes that the, like the dog would be crazy. Got it. Like you would be completely healthy and sane. Right. And that was the relationship that I had with the head was that the head was crazy. completely crazy. Had multiple personalities. And that was why I always called him Head, because if you name one, you got to name them all. Right. Um, and I just couldn't do it. So I would 
talk to and interact with, and and it, it became very popular. Um, and part of it was because more so not what I did in the ring, but more so backstage, um, because it was always in a normal setting. The only thing that was abnormal was I was interacting with a plastic mannequin head. What does that do to your own psyche as you're going along? Because I imagine as you're becoming the character, and wrestling is very method, right? You really have Very method, yeah. Yes. You have to pretty much live it 24 hours a day. Yeah, because if people see you outside of... You you are what you sell. Yeah. yeah. How does how did you it was, come to terms with that? Well, there were some uncomfortable situations like, um, you know, whenever I would go to dinner, I would basically, I'd have to take the head into the restaurant and set it on the table beside, you know, across from me. And really? I would buy two meals and buy drinks and, and then sit there and talk the whole time, and, you know. And I got asked to leave quite a few times, restaurants. But it was it was important because now if you are at home and you're flipping through the channels and you happen to see me <laughs> out in the ring, uh, you believe that I'm really insane. And so is that a... I, I hear two sides to this. I hear some fans like, oh, yeah, I know it's all a story and we're watching acting and all that. And then there's those who are like, it is 100% real. They're doing their thing. They're all exactly who they say they are. Yeah. And then how is that for you as the actor who's, who really wants to put on the good show and who is, you obviously know wrestling moves. You know what you're doing or else you'd get horribly hurt. I mean, you guys are being... Well, you still do. You get, get thrown there. around like crazy. Yeah. It's always like the through the table and stuff that you see on the... The, the tables aren't too bad. Oh, my God. They actually in the ring, just getting thrown on the ring is about the worst. On uh, the ropes, you mean? Or mm, the, ropes on can the, be, the ropes can be pretty bad, too. Uh, people are surprised when they first get in, but like if you were to run and hit the ropes like you see people do, uh, they literally, if you're not used to them, they'll start... They'll just... I've seen people just get bruised from... From the bottom of their armpit all the way down to their hip. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I think an audience wants to believe. Yeah. Okay? And the key is, is that they, an audience will never believe in what you do. Physically in the ring, they'll never believe it. And the reason they won't is because they've never done it. They've never experienced it. Now there, there are about seven or eight things that we do in the ring that an audience has experienced personally. And they can relate to on a physical level. Like, That's why football, baseball, and basketball have enormous audiences in the United States. And the only reason they do is because everybody's done it. Yeah. So when you watch it, you can connect yeah. and relate on a physical level to what's happening on the field or, you know, or in the stadium. So what are the things that people um, relate to on the wrestling? Getting your hair pulled. Mm-hmm. Everybody's had that done. Mm-hmm. And they know how that would feel and they know how they would react. Uh, a headlock. Everybody, if you've got a brother or sister, <laughs> everybody's had a headlock put on them, and everybody's put a headlock on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And we know how it, it does hurt, you know. So those things are quite real to an audience. But coming off the ropes, diving off the top rope, uh, taking a backdrop, throwing a drop kick—that's stuff that an audience has never experienced. Yeah. So they don't. They don't. They don't know how it feels. Although I think my brother did that to me once on the couch. <laughs> Probably. Um, but they don't know how it feels. They don't know that every single time you hit that mat, it hurts. That the, the, the actually, they had a physicist who had done a study and had uh, equated the uh, every time 
your body strikes the mat, it's about the equivalent of a 22 to a 25 mile per hour car accident. Um, but if you were to ask anybody who attends a wrestling show what that ring is, they'd say it's a mattress or a trampoline because they see the flex or the, the give. Dip. Yeah. yeah. And that only it, it, that just serves to allows to absorb some of the um, shock, but it's it's really just a steel frame with two by twelves with some padding on the top of it, and that's it. And the padding's really just there just to protect your elbows and your joints, the, you know, your elbows, your knees, things like that. How do you have like, longevity? I mean, I think this with football players too. How do you get the crap beat out of you? all those years in a row and, and still get in the ring and be like, let's do this again. It seems insane. Well, yeah. Yeah, why would you even do it at all? I, mean, it just... I think my character would be the Stay Puft Marshmallow person so that I was always inside. Wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, again, I don't know. I don't know why, what drives a person or, or me to do it or to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I, I, I take it back. What I do in the ring is I don't wrestle, okay? I, I can, and I know how to, and I'm very adept at it. I use wrestling to tell a story, to manipulate an audience's emotions to it, the highest peak I possibly can. And when you get, it takes years to learn and you never stop learning. But when you get those nights where you really can get them to stand up, sit down, laugh, cry, uh, cheer, boo, whatever you want, how much you want, to the degree you want, for as long as you want, there's nothing else like it. It's do you, amazing. Do you, when, you have, when you're partnered up with your, your opponent, uh-huh. um, do you have to sit down ahead of time for weeks and, and no. sort of map it out? Or do you go in blind and you just do what you do, knowing there's a basic storyline. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy, there's or a good girl, good bad girl. Um, Somebody stole a dog once or something. Yeah, right? they stole mine. Yeah, yeah. I kidnapped my dog because I would hear voices from the dog. Which son of Sam was the inspiration yeah. for that? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, you. The the formula is that you try to follow is that you always try to sell the objective. First and foremost, with the objective of every wrestling match is that you're trying to win. So that's, everybody goes in trying to win. Exactly. Okay, so that's not pre. Well, no, no, that is that. That's the one only only thing, and the one thing that is fake about wrestling is, is that it's predetermined. You know who's gonna. Yeah. For the storyline. Correct. To progress. And to and to what what direction we want the audience's emotions to go. Yeah. Um, it's grand theater. Pretty it's much. It's like Shakespeare on a. Super duper intense physical level. All amped level. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you want to uh, determine what we call the gimmick of the match is. Um, and that is how do you win? Or what it is that you're making the audience want. Um, and then you use that to be the thing that allows you to tell a story based off of that gimmick. That thing that they're that's driving the audience's emotions. We're ba- and we're basically we start playing a game of mental keep away or emotional keep away, of hey you want this? No you don't. So the good the good guy tries to give the audience what they're asking for, and then the bad guy takes it away. Takes it away. Interesting. And then you learn to play with that because it, just like when you were a kid, at some point you get the ah, screw you heat you know the screw you I'm not going to play anymore you're not going to give it to me. 
And if you go that far, you go that far, you lose it. But if you take it right up to where they're just about to and they're almost so frustrated and you give it to them, they emotionally yeah. pop or what we call pop their nuts. Soap opera. They come. They come. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do is make them have an emotional orgasm. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So when you, have to, when you want to transition out of one character into another, mm-hmm. do you kill them off? What do you do? No. You just have to... Uh, I try to do everything based off of cause and effect or action and reaction and I try to make it logical. So if a person's going to turn a different direction or have another motivation, he's no longer going to be the antagonist, he's now going to be a protagonist. Well, there has to be something that happened that drove that person that direction. Mm. They don't change who they are intrinsically. They still act, speak, Everything exactly the same as they did when they were the antagonist. The only difference is is that now, if they do something that's a little less than uh, kosher, they're going to do it as retribution or revenge as opposed to they did it to gain an upper hand. Mm. So. Did you have a preferred character that you... Uh, I really I enjoyed being the... Uh, if we can curse a little bit. Oh, you can curse. Okay. You don't curse. No the, problem. <clears throat> when I was... Uh, Working for Jim Cornette, I was the smart-ass chicken shit heel or bad guy antagonist. I, I really enjoyed doing that because mm-hmm. I got to be entertaining, but also I, I had been a, the antagonist for 14 or 15 years and much preferred to do that. Because well, then I, how do you do that when you go out into the world if you have to be a jerk all the time? Well, you don't have to be a jerk all the time. That's the thing is that um, I can still be a smart aleck. I just... You know, and I naturally am anyways, but uh, um, you, there are antagonists or bad guys in real life, bad people, but really all it is is circumstances make them that, you know, and, you know, we all are a villain in somebody else's story. That is very true. You know, as much as we'd like to believe that, you know, uh, everybody loves us. We're a villain in somebody's story somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's all a matter of perspective. And um, I can, like, just like the same with the one I had the head. I would go out and be walking around and, and treating it as if it was, it was real and, and that was my per- personality. And, you know, um, and for some people it was funny. For some it was disturbing. For some it was, you know, uh, it was they just didn't care. Um, it all depended on the circumstance. Did you have anybody that either applauded you or vilified you for the mental health aspect of, you know, oh, people certainly. that had mental health issues or perhaps oh, yeah. saying, yeah. oh, you're drawing light to it and or you were making fun of it? Yeah. How did that go down? Um, we, I had, you know, uh, well, when we did the dog situation, uh, we had the SPCA and several other animal rights organizations, you know, write letters and say they were going to protest and you know we were promoting animal cruelty which nothing could be further from the truth didn't you have um, to eat a dog like mm-hmm. not in, in the the character ate the, the dog yeah. by accident well yeah, got invited to a dinner yeah, yeah. To get in, yeah. so for those listening the the story arc went that the the man who kidnapped the dog then invited you to dinner which is based on a true story it doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> There was a former wrestler um, who had a neighbor and had a dog that he, the former wrestler 
hated the neighbor and hated the dog because it would bark all the time. And the neighbor went to work, and then the dog went missing. And then the former wrestler uh, invited the neighbor over to console uh, by making dinner and had made dinner with the dog. Holy cow. And then fed the dog to the neighbor. I saw it. There's a storyline like that in War of the Roses as well. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so people get upset about that stuff. So they get upset about that. They get. I've had women's right group rights groups get upset um, and have protested uh, shows because they've they've put pictures of me on the poster holding the base of the head, um, and you know they claiming that I'm choking a woman's uh, mm-hmm. choking a woman and promoting violence against women. Um, I had an action figure was uh, taken off the shelves of Walmart um, and I was like a national news event for like a week and a half at that time um, because Walmart and they still refuse to sell my action figure I'm number five on the list of things that they won't sell because there's a there's a head there was a woman's uh, two women who were of all things assistant professors of communications Mm -hmm. at uh, a college in Georgia went to Walmart had done no actual homework had never watched the show, knew nothing about my character, went by, saw the action figure, saw the picture of me holding the uh, mannequin head, Mm -hmm. and wrote a letter to the Atlanta Constitution, and I quote, saying that it was a training manual for future spousal abusers. Mm. Um, uh, So, of course, you know, Walmart was like, we're not going to sell the action figure. Doesn't Walmart sell guns? Uh, Walmart sells not only guns, but the ammo and hunting knives to go along with it. Seems and paradoxical. Literally, like several weeks later, Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp came out, and they had in oh, the packaging the headless horseman. Well, not just headless horseman, but actual decapitated heads, which they said this was a decapitated woman's head, mm. which it was not. And I had never referred to it as a he or a she; mm-hmm. I referred to it as simply asexual. But that was a way of espousing their opinions in a public forum without ever actually doing any real homework, which right. is is the... The American way. It is. It is. <laughs> and it's gotten even worse. Yeah, it's yeah. certainly the American way. Um, and then people panic, you know, corporations and stuff. But and, does that make the character more popular? Oh, it did. It meant yeah, I would imagine that yeah. that would actually be a boon for the... Yeah. 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 But uh, it... it um, I've had a lot of that, you know, I've had backlash in different ways in different times, and um, but I've stuck to what I'm doing. I, it's just, it's the same as, as because as, I had a catchphrase that I would say, what does everybody want, what does everybody need, and, and the audience would say head, and everybody thought that I meant I was talking about Felicia, which I was not. The whole idea, what I was trying to do was a once upon a time, which I probably should have clued in some of the more the creative people that were in charge, was that here's here's a person, a guy, who had struggled in a career and was still wanting to be be the person they wanted, that they, you know, needed and that they loved, and they still don't. They want the head, they need the head, they love the head, not me. Mm-hmm. And I've been at one some point I was going to get jealous and I was going to basically turn on my friend and be the antagonist in the story mm. and basically be the bad guy attacking it and doing things like that like because I thought it was real and that I would be jealous of that and that was why I would always do what does everybody want and I would hold the head up and everybody had which would and as I did it I'd get more angry 
but nobody ever picked up on that. And mm. it was, you know, I think it was a little too deep and a little too subtle. Yeah, it. philosophically speaking, it probably kind of went well, over there. It went over their heads, yes. no pun intended. But uh, um, and everybody loves a great double entendre. Yeah, and course. it was part. That was part of the fun, and especially at that time, you know, uh, WWE was doing more of an uh, eighteen to thirty-five type of audience. They were trying to focus more on that, and it was immensely popular, and it, it did very well. The whole uh, that whole direction that they went. Um, they had a, a tremendous box office boom, and you know, you know, wrestling was again in the mainstream of pop culture, and mm-hmm. um, because of it, uh, but that connotation um, of you know, and people thinking, well, oh my, I don't want my kids to see that or hear it, and it's like they don't, they don't look at it like you do. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't think it's a double entendre. They understand, quite honestly exactly what I'm referring to. It's you that doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. They understand I'm referring to this plastic head. You're thinking that. Mm-hmm. And then you're thinking they have a world view much like your own, which The only don't. way we can see another person is through our own paradigm. And so we're constantly putting our stuff on other people. And the worst part of that is putting it on the children. Yeah. The children well, do not They have view to be carefully world. taught. Yeah, how they to don't be... view the world the same. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. You have children? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm a proven breeder. I'm much like a <laughs> salmon. I've swam upstream. <laughs> How many children do you have? Well, I have uh, two stepdaughters from a previous marriage. I have a son and a daughter, and then I have two stepsons. Okay. It's so, a big brood. Oh, it's just, yeah. It's have a, any of them like followed the in bunch. your footsteps? Uh, no one has yet. Um, the youngest is 15, and he now has a new fascination with uh, wrestling and, and claims that he wants to. I've never dissuaded any of my kids from doing anything and I've never pushed them to do anything. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to pursue what it was they were truly passionate about doing. And the one thing about professional wrestling is that the key to doing it and being able to survive is being passionate about doing it because if you're not, it is not the not the job and it is not the lifestyle. Because it's really hard work. Well, it's very physically yeah. uh, demanding. It's very emotionally uh, hard and very mentally uh, draining, especially yeah. when you get to a level like WWE, because you're only as good. You serve two purposes in professional wrestling. You are either the thing that sells tickets, or you're one of the things that helps sell tickets. There is no third option, mm-hmm. and your value is directly in relationship to how effective you do one of those two things. And you're only as good as the last time you performed. I've read some things about um, a couple different wrestlers taking their own lives oh and, yeah and it seems like in this profession it might be a little bit more than in some of the other pro sport professions I don't know I, or maybe it's just more publicized but I, th- I think the hardest thing uh, not just for wrestlers you know professional wrestlers but but especially for professional wrestlers but for athlete you know athletes or professional athletes or uh Anybody who has to put so much of themselves into what they pursue, the hardest thing is when that comes to an end. Mm-hmm. You know, everything dies. Everything. Everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. No matter what it is, it has a, it has a lifespan, and then it's going to come. It's going to stop. And uh, sometimes it's easier to come to grips with the mortality of your own physical life than it is the life of something that you've put so much of yourself into and understanding that when it comes to an end, 
you still have to go on. And yet, the thing that became not just what you did, but who you were, um, is no longer going to be there. And mm-hmm. now you've got to go on and be something else, or be somebody else. How did you do that? Um, I tried, I started realizing uh, several years ago that it was becoming who I was, and it was eating me alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I made a choice that I was going to not let it be who I was, but be what I did. And I was, you know, not going to be so eaten up by it. And um, and that that's helped. It's still not easy coming to grips with, you know, um, at some point I'm not going to be able to get in the ring and perform at all. Um, so you're still performing? I still do. I, I literally just came back from Australia and was over there for several uh I think I wrestled five or six days, and then the the rest were a stand up comedy tour that I had done for the first time. Oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah, but like outlets like this with OVW help to fill that breach, as far as you know, not being able to get in the ring. But I'm I get the chance to be creative, and I get to uh, write um, the TV and the shows and produce and then live vicariously through um, the, the, the talent that are in the ring and mm-hmm. watching it play out, you know. Um, and when it works, it's it's all, it's all just as gratifying as if I were actually physically in the ring myself, so. Is there a form of, um, is there an outlet of therapy or anything for for all of you that, that no. so you can deal with some of this stuff outside of the no not right now and I don't think people have identified you know I don't think it's been identified enough uh, to, to where there would be something and I don't I don't know it's such an odd way to, to live let alone make a living that uh, I don't know how many people could relate enough to it to be able to uh, help to mm. actually give that you know therapy you know how long have women been a part of? Oh, for, uh, since the beginning, or not since the beginning? I'd say probably thirties or forties, nineteen thirties or nineteen forties. I love that show, Glow. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. It's so well done. Yeah. I've, I've only seen the first season so far, but I really enjoyed it. Now, you train other people. I do. Uh, do you train both men and women? Yes, I do. So fundamentally, because uh-huh. you can only speak from being a man, fundamentally, how do you? What are the big differences between the two as far as training and, and what their achievements are going to be? Really, there really to me, there's not. Mm. Other than that, it's very important that the girl remembers to be a girl. Mm. And so many of them don't. So many of them uh, literally become a guy with boobs. Mm-hmm. They, they, you mean in physicality or even mentally? Oh, mentally, the whole thing. The whole thing, yeah. yeah. They no longer, they no longer in, interact or emotionally react when they're in the ring performing like a woman would. Mm-hmm. With, and this isn't me being sexist. Oh, this I understand. Because I, I, quite honestly, I don't judge anybody on anything. And that's the truth. I simply look at people and go, okay, you know. And uh, so much so to the point where we were like, when I was here the first time with WWE, um, I was one of the very first people to feature the women in main event uh, situations and treat them as if they were just wrestlers on the card, not just as side attractions or, oh, they're girls, right. but 
you know, they were they were treated exactly the same as the guys in, in every respect. So what do you think happens? Do you think that's just like becomes like when it's around? Um, I think it's women women have a distinct advantage and a distinct disadvantage, okay? Uh, the distinct advantage is, is that your job is to be an attraction. Your job is to motivate people to want to leave their house and pay money to see you perform. That really is your job. It's not to, it's to use that wrestling and that time in the ring is basically a commercial, you're a product. Um, and let's face it, again, I'm not being sexist, I'm just being realistic. Women, men will pay to see women yeah. in all kinds of situations, you know, and, and that they use it in advertising, they use it in feature films. I don't think it's sexist, yeah. I think it's just the fact. Well, I know, but there are people that will go, yeah. oh, he's being sexist. No, I'm just being yeah. honest. Sex, sexuality and women's sexuality, and now, of course, men's sexuality, uh, sells a ton of products. Sure, right? and, 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 and it should be embraced. It, it, the, this Victorian type attitude that we still hold in this in this country alone. You or know, it, America especially. We, we really is because what's sexuality. what's odd is you go to Europe or you go to uh, the UK, they don't care about it, and you might see a woman's boobs on TV, but you won't see her being assaulted or raped or somebody being stabbed to death. Whereas here, here, it's the opposite. Little Johnny can't see the woman's boobs, but we have no problem watching somebody raped have him yeah. watching them raped and murdered. It's, it's very bizarre. It's wacky. Yeah. Um, I'd rather see my, my kids see something normal and natural, which are a pair of boobs, than right. to see that a person being assaulted. Right. But, hey, go figure. Um, uh but uh, it, where was I? Uh, we were talking about women uh, oh, yeah. when they get into the ring. But the, the, the disadvantage is that women have to be as athletic and as uh, technique-wise and uh, as a guy. They have to be just as concise and professional and, and physically show that they know what they can do. But they can't lose that intrinsic femininity. And a lot of them focus so much on the physicality that they lose that when they're in their ring performing, they lose that femininity. Is that something you try to instill mm-hmm. then? Yeah, Are I try to try to make them still be a girl. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very important mm-hmm. because if you're a woman and you're watching it, you can't relate. No different than like yeah. if we watch uh, the eight things that you know what they physically feel like. One of them being getting poked in the eye. You know, let's face it, we've all had that happen. Yeah. Even that makes my island. eyes just now Exactly. <laughs> but now, one of the biggest common mistakes that the wrestlers will do is they'll literally shove a thumb in one guy's eye and then throw him 18 feet across the ring. He'll be able to grab that one-inch rope and then come back and duck whatever is being thrown at him. It's like, come on, you can't even maneuver around this room if you happen to just rub your eye. Now you expect me to buy into and believe that, you know. Mm. It's just little nuance. Nuance of like, but <clears throat> women fight more emotionally. Women will talk while they're fighting. They'll, you know, men, it's just, and they just punch and kick and that's it. Where women will not only beat you up, but will verbally debase you at the same time. And God help you if you grab her hair, because now it's on. Well, Girls will get in the ring nowadays, and they're so caught up in performing that mm. you do things to them that typically a woman would react and emotionally, and they don't. But the guys do the same thing too. Yeah. But 
but it, it's even more important for, for a woman. So now the woman watching in the audience, that she knows how she would react if that had happened, but that girl's not reacting like that. Maybe so that's why Glow is so popular, because it's a huge hit show, and yeah. maybe it is because those women are all definitely acting like women, yeah. whatever that means. I mean, I don't even know what that means, and I am a woman, but yeah, but I'm a I don't know how to put it, but it's it just... I don't either. But they're all... Whatever we say, biologically we're going to make somebody are, mad. So yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to upset somebody, but biologically, there are distinct differences between the sexes. Sure. I mean, that, that there's no offense mm. about that. Right. And, and, and do I care about it? No, I don't. My life doesn't revolve around that. Sure. But um, but there are. And, and when you're performing, the thing about professional wrestling is, is that it is very much a synergistic situation between you and the audience. And that's why it's not acting for us. It, like, it's not a character mm-hmm. for us. It is who we are with the volume turned way up. If, it go, if guys go out there and they, yeah. it's a character... They're acting. You can tell. It doesn't work because the audience can't feel it. Mm-hmm. And if you're out there and you're wrestling, and again, back to if you're, even even if it's a guy, and the guy does not react in that situation like guys in the audience would think they would react, we're done. Is it choreographed, though? The, in, in its, it is, is there somebody outside watching, say, a re- is there a rehearsal? I mean, no, is there, there is no rehearsal. Okay. Um... So every night is opening night. You just pretty much in yes, and 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 like, the, there's a big misnomer of it's is it scripted, it's not scripted. So it's improv. It's it is improv, and at the same time, it's not now. The 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 wrestlers are used to. It would be loosely scripted, meaning. You'd call uh, what we call high spots. High spots would be wherever you wanted the action to go up and wherever you wanted the emotion to go up a higher level in the direction you wanted it to go at the end of the match. And the high spots can be a series of three or four moves put together or uh, just a facial expression, um, body language, you know, or going to throw a punch, just simple little things. Um, you'd plan those out, but with the caveat that when you got out there, you might plan A, B, C, D, and E before you finally did F, which is where you did your finish, your end of the match. But you go out there, and for whatever reason, they just don't happen. Um, they don't organically occur, or, or the audience is going a completely different mm. direction. So you do X, Q, R, Y, and then you do F. Or you might go out and you might go A, B, and then you might go... M, L, Z, and then F. So you're hyper aware of the audience the whole time you're actually... Supposed to be, yes. yes. How do you balance all that? It's, you know, you just over time you start to you start to develop that. And you, to, um, when you're out there performing, you got to keep track of, you know, how much time you have, how much time is left, what you think you should be doing, what you think your opponent's going to do, how should you react... Are they reacting? What's the audience doing? What are they wanting? What can you take away? What can you give them? How should you speed up? Should you slow down? Should you become more aggressive? Should you lay back more? You know, you just—it's all just happening like that the entire time you're out there, and you're constantly evaluating, just constantly gauging, and that—and that's what's missing today—is that the performers they'll sit down. 
and, and instead of taking that mindset of, hey, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, nobody cares. They'll sit down and they'll talk and they'll go over every detail of the match. But the problem is they don't, you don't know before you get out there just exactly what's the audience going to react to, how much they're going to react, why they're going to react, what they're going to want. But they still try to anticipate because they work at a far accelerated rate. They wrestle at a far accelerated rate. And so they'll discuss and they'll talk and they'll leave and you watch them mentally rehearse and visualize it and then they get back and they refine it and then they go back and they mentally rehearse and refine it again. And then when they go out there, that's exactly what they do is they perform it exactly that way. And sometimes, you know, they're on the same page as the audience. And other times, the audience is off here and they're just still mm. going and doing what they want to do, you know, does it doesn't matter. Um, um, so it, that's a lost skill that where when I train, I try to reacquaint and try to teach them to get back in touch with that. With the improv part. With the improv part. Because they're trying to intellectualize something that should be done on an instinctual level. Mm-hmm. Um, the... the uh, Basically, the the analogy I always use, and, and it sounds kind of crass, but it's it quite honestly is the, the most accurate, is that wrestling is just like having sex. Yeah. And because uh, a term that we use in wrestling is we want the audience to pop, to pop their nut, to right. have that emotional orgasm. So you're basically taking that same approach. Well, you can't, if you, you know, maybe some, some people can watch it porn or something and then rehearse in their heads. I think people do do that nowadays. I think they do too. Yeah. Um, That's probably why that one guy probably stopped moving and his wife was like, what are you doing? And he goes, I saw it on porn. I'm buffering. Yeah. He's like, I'm buffering. You're not moving. (laughs) Stupid. Um, Uh, But yeah, I think you're right. And it, but then the, there's a disconnect that's happening. And there's, there's that loss of, of the, the emotional and the feel. Yeah. The animal magnetism, if you will. That which makes us our basic selves. Right. Yeah. And and in in wrestling, it's becoming more and more evident because mm-hmm. they're no longer emotionally interacting or reacting with each other. Um, why so, do you think that happened? Do you because think they're so busy trying to remember the next thing. Yeah, but wh- why did that begin? Where did the, did somebody think, oh, it's safer if we know exactly what's going to happen? Or no, do you think it just happened the way happened things to, happen? It, because wrestling is, is, is not a, uh, a verbal business. It's not a verbal art that you teach. Um, the best way to have it taught is to physically get in the ring and have somebody lead you and take you and direct you. Again, no different than having sex. Um, you learn by doing, and and you learn to get the feel for things. And um, I think the turning point was in the art was that there was a, a generational shift where there was enough of the older generation had left, and the younger generation didn't have that guidance, and they started to. Uh, at an, in, uh, a lower level of experience, started to perform with each other, and so now it's the blind leading the blind. Makes sense. And so they started to intellectualize so that they make sure that they didn't make mistakes. Um, hey, we're going to follow this, this specific formula of performance, and then B, we're going to 
map out everything that each one of us is going to do. But it becomes hollow. It becomes, you know, very empty because while they're doing whatever that first thing, that A spot is, they're both busy trying to remember the B spot that's coming up next. So as a result, they never... They're never present. They're never present in the moment, and yeah. they never react. Which makes nor... sex terrible. Exactly. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to everyone. Yes. <laughs> be present. Um, and this, you know, the same goes. The audience now, the audience will make noise. The audience will, you know, they'll, they'll react, but they'll never, you'll never get that emotional rise and that yeah. true... Yeah. Or emotional orgasm, yeah. and that's what you want, and that really is all we're selling here, is we're really trying to sell that emotional moment, you know, that feeling, um, that will then motivate an audience to want to come back in bigger numbers to experience that again. Is wrestling starting to see a decline because of that, or um, it's it not really starting to see a? Uh, I don't know if, how you can, you know, like WWE's doing great business. I mean, they're doing, uh, in some respects, awesome business, but they're television ratings aren't as strong as what they once were, you know. Their live event attendance isn't as strong as what it once was, but they're still making, you know, making monster money. Um, you know, there are fewer places for professional wrestlers to make a living, and a large part of that is because of that shift of a being, you know, of the performers moving so far away from that feeling. feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you trying to bring all that back? Yeah, I And am. do you train other people to train other people? Uh, I try to. Yeah. Yeah, I try to. How many students, for example, are here? I think this? there's a total of about 35 here right now. Um, I, I just took over in June, so I'm going to try to build back up the, the training part of it, uh, which I think is a very integral part of the, the whole operation. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, um, and then build up our television product again um, that needs a facelift it needs just some updating and some lighting and sound and things like that that we need to do for it um, and uh, and then the one thing that they all need to do is they need to get in front of an audience and perform so um, our live event schedule is kind of very peaked right right <laughs> now we've only we run one one show a month here and then we do one other live event and that's it when I was here the first time, we ran, we had uh, developed a schedule. We ran 186 live events in one year. So it's a big 50, difference. 52 of those were the weekly television production, and then 134 of those were the events where we go out in front of an audience and mm-hmm. perform. You know, and that's where you get that feeling. You get that. You start to understand what works for you, why it works for you, how much you should do, how little you should do, when to speed up, when to slow down. You know, it, it, that doesn't happen in an empty building where you're just going to do drills. The only place you really develop that sense is, is in front of an audience. It's like a performing songwriter. Yeah. Or an actor. Yeah, yeah. The more you do, you know, with anything, the more you, you know, to... To have real knowledge mm-hmm. on any any topic or any subject, you have to have first the information, and then you have a commensurate amount of experience. You can have all the information you want, and unfortunately, because of the internet, fortunately and unfortunately, because of the internet, 
we have an access to a plethora of information, right. which now we all assume that we have a plethora of knowledge, which could not be further from the truth, because we don't have any actual experience in those realms. Mm-hmm. Also, um, we don't because of the internet, we don't have to push our brains the way we used to. True. And so having this mass access, although it's handy and wonderful that anything you say, I want to learn about hamsters or space or whatever, and you can go look it up, but you're, you're not really... Learning. Yeah, the, the exercise of learning. It. Yeah, I saw an interesting thing the other day where they were saying, you know, do we memorize seven-digit numbers? Can we memorize seven-digit numbers anymore? You see, when we were kids, you, you knew all your friends' phone numbers, your yeah. phone number, your parents. I can still recall my phone number from my room and my parents' home phone number. I still remember those, but and I remember my best friend Ellen's phone number, which surprised me, but everybody else... Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I know people that don't know their own phone number. Yeah. You know, they, you're like, what's your number? And they go, hold on a second. And they turn on their phone. Because and we don't have that. They the, don't know. The brain because, hasn't trained. It's yeah. all training. Yeah. Yeah. And they, speak, okay. So training. How do you train besides the the, the falling and the jumping and the, uh-huh. all that? Is, there, is it a lot like um, boxing training where you're just in the gym all the time and you're... Well, what? no. It's... it's, it's uh, um, different different uh, performers take different tacks as far as training, um, but I mean you do have to dedicate and have to be in in there and train on a very high level and train like uh, an athlete. Um, but some pursue a little more of a bodybuilding type of mm-hmm. approach, and some, you know try to do it a little more, you know, like a, like CrossFit, I guess, before CrossFit became popular. Um, and it just, whatever works for them. But the, the, ultimately, the only thing that really gets them in ring condition is to be in the ring because there's just no way to simulate it. Does size matter in the ring? Can you have like a beefy, like muscle-bound person versus a, maybe a more slight but cut person? Can... Is that an even fight, or do you? Does it have to by weight and all that? Do you match up people? Well, no, and and they've never they've not done that in ages. Uh, Doing a weight class, you mean? No, or? yeah, they don't. It's uh, used to a professional wrestler was you know two hundred pounds and above, mm. and they you know were around one hundred ninety five, and then anything that was one hundred ninety five to about two twenty five was called considered junior heavyweight or cruiserweight, and then anything above that was a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. But heavyweights could wrestle junior heavyweights or cruiserweights and vice versa. Um, and now there's none of that. None of that really. No, yeah. the focus isn't so much on on the weight. And there are and there's been a trend in there. A lot of smaller wrestlers now. A lot of guys that are five eight, five ten. Mm. You know, uh, 180, 190 pounds. So yeah, <laughs> slight and tight, but you know, um, and then there, but you still have some really bigger, bigger people in there as well. Mm-hmm. And that, and to be quite honest, like just like in boxing, the heavyweights are, the heavyweight boxers are more of a draw for the average audience for Mr. and Mrs. Walmart than, you know, junior the, the lower weight limits don't really draw the same as what the old the heavyweights do hmm. for some reason they're, they're much more of an attraction and the same goes with wrestling maybe it's the mirroring thing uh, I think it's people don't pay to see somebody they can see for free they just don't if they can see somebody that 
they want to aspire to um, or look up to or emulate or or imagine you know or be caught up in oh my this guy's so big you know or this girl. the fantastical thing and it's not just two guys fighting in a bar it has to be an attraction yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah and and the smaller wrestlers uh, might be quicker might more be more agile and then and as a re- result they have to do more spectacular moves which mm-hmm. means they physically are taking a greater risk um but the bigger guys don't have to do nearly as the the visually spectacular type of moves and, and therefore they don't take as much of a physical risk as the uh, the smaller guys do do you think if you could go back and and tell your 18 year old self do you think you would say, yeah, I do this. This is going to be a, quite a ride. Or do you think you'd be like, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> no, I'd do it. Normally. You would do it over again. Absolutely. Yeah. I've gotten to be able to go places, do things, see things. I've traveled the world. I've, I have, because I grew up in a little town in Ohio. And, you know, most of the people that I grew up with probably be lucky if they even left the state. Um, and I've been able to go and do and see things that other people read about in books. I've been on three or four safaris in South Africa. I've been to India, I've been to Iceland, you know. I've been on top of a glacier in Iceland, uh, dove off a waterfall there. Um, and speaking of books, you wrote a book. I, I, I'm in the process of writing a book, yeah. And it comes out in April of 2019? April of 2019, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually just sat down and uh, was going over the initial edits of the, uh, got back from the uh, pub, the publication the publisher and they were making little notes about and is this about your life as a as a wrestler Mm -hmm. and and some of the interesting people I've met and some of the ridiculous like I have tons of ridiculous stories in professional wrestling because the 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 people that are in this you just you wouldn't find anywhere else and the circumstances that occur in this business um if if I told you, you'd be like, no, there's no way that could possibly happen. And like, who in their right mind? But stuff like it, it happens all the time. Yeah. Because it's just, it's a different world. And what's the book going to be called? uh, Self-help, life lessons that I've learned. Or I wanted it to be how to take shit and make Shinola uh, and other life lessons I've learned from wrestling. Because that's the number one thing I have learned from wrestling is that there's no such word as can't. And you might get a big pile of shit, but you got to figure out a way to make shoe polish out of it because if you don't, you're not going to eat. Mm-hmm. So you've that's been that's been the rule from day one is that people go you know and I I try to impart that to some of the people here. My my production uh, guy Daniel's great guy. When I first got here. I would say, oh, I want to do this, do this, and Daniel, oh, well, we can't do that. No, you're going to learn. It might be hard for us to do it. Mm-hmm. It might be a challenge for us to do it. That doesn't mean we can't do it. It might not mean. It might mean that we won't get it done just yet. We can do it. Yeah. We just have to figure a way to do it. Well, he's like, well, if you put it that way, I'm like, well, there's no other way to put it because we don't have a choice. It has it's to either get done. we do it right. or it doesn't get done. If it doesn't get done, we go out of business. If we go out of business, we don't get to have fun. And I've got to now grow up and take on a regular job. And I don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. Nah. What's the most hurt you've ever been? Uh, pain wise? Um, well, broken hearts count, I suppose, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
tailbone probably when I I, had a, I cracked my tailbone one time. Oh, that is painful. And that was, in, that. that was incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, I had a pelvic shear. It was an uh, inch and a half up and then two and a half tilted um, inches. And that was incredibly painful for months. Um, had interesting ones where um, I had uh, wrestled a guy and uh, he landed on me. We were out. Travel wrestling for like 14 days in a row. When I came home, uh, he had landed on me so many times that when I would lean like this, you could hear my heart clicking against the inside of my chest, and uh, um, that was that was fun. What, did it shift your bones over? Uh, no, apparently the even though the doctor was like, when I you know he was like, uh, what's why are you here today? And I go watch, and I lean over and click click click, and he goes, well that's interesting. I'm like no kidding, and he's. <laughs> um, what they surmised, because they ran a bunch of tests, is that um, the sack of fluid around your heart, uh, that from the impact it had swollen, and that one of my ribs had been d- displaced a little bit. And mm-hmm. so when I would lean, it would flop against and just beat against the inside of my rib cage. And uh, that one was a that was an interesting. I assume it healed itself. Yeah, it, it didn't time. do. It stopped doing that. You know. But they did all kinds of different tests, and the heart was fine. They replaced just... your heart with a baked potato. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, gee, I don't know. Uh, Nothing enough to keep you from doing it. No, not really. I mean, I've uh, had two hairline fra- I've fractured my neck. Mm. Um, I've mm. broken my nose I don't know how many times. The last one I didn't reset all the way. It, it's still kind of crooked. Mm-hmm. I reset it myself. Um... Let's see. Uh, at one point, I would get done with a match. I'd cough up blood for a couple minutes after I got done. Um, so you guys are really getting the hell beat out of you, really. I mean, this is... Dislocated, got kicked in the face, dislocated my jaw, blown out the PCL in the left knee, uh, broke my right ankle, have broken free the fibia away from the tibia. Um... Do you keep going when that happens, or do you just oh, yeah. stop? No. You just keep... The only time I, di- I yelled stop, I dislocated my shoulder, and I couldn't stand up because it had gone forward, like tilted forward, and my arm went backward, almost like in a hammerlock type position. But it caused the muscles on the latissimus latissimus dorsi muscles to all seize up, mm. and it drove all the mu- and it bit me over, and I could not, I couldn't stand erect. And continue the match. I so I just rolled the guy up and won the match and went right to the back. Just and I couldn't never I couldn't stand up straight until they got to the I got to the hospital and then they um, took three doctors and they take a sheet and they wrap it around you um, and two doctors held on and the other doctor drives his car the other way yeah and just <laughs> yanks it back in place. That's how my dad got rid of my first loose tooth. <laughs> That's basically kind of what he was doing to, to get my arm back in place. Oh my gosh. Um, well, how, okay, so if I'm an inspiring wrestler, male yeah. or female, how do I find you? Where do, what do I do? Um, well, on social media, I'm the real Al Snow because there were some actual fakes. And the real Al Snow. Yeah, no and I would, I would, uh, I message him and I go, look, if you're going to fake being a celebrity, I mean, you should, you should raise the bar. I mean, I don't even want to fake being me and you're trying to be me? Come on. Be somebody really cool, not me. So I had to do the real Al Snow. But on all social media, I'm the real Al Snow. And uh, if they want to contact us at Ohio Valley Wrestling, 
Um, I think it's ovwrestling.com. I don't mm-hmm. even know the website of my own company. That's <laughs> so, okay. I can put it on the links page. I'll but look it's, it up. It's ovwrestling.com. Oh, yeah. and, uh, what are the insurance rates for people like you? <laughs> uh, they're, not, they're not easy. They're not cheap. How do you find insurance to say, you're a professional wrestler? Sure. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's difficult to find health insurance. Oh, my it's gosh. It's really hard, and it's not... It's never been inexpensive, and especially these days, it's gotten even worse. Yeah, I imagine the stack of waivers when people come into a wrestling class. Pretty, pretty thick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, I take pride in the fact that I've, I've trained a lot of different people, and the worst injury I ever had was somebody twisted their ankle. Oh, that's good. Because I take things in a very step-by-step sure. process, and I try to make sure that they learn certain skills that will allow them to learn the next set of skills which will allow them to be Liam not, Neeson <laughs> yeah be Liam Neeson and not just learn them but understand what they are and what they're doing with them and I think that's more important than just learning a physical or a mechanical skill it's understanding the the reasoning and the concept of why you're doing it and mm-hmm. when you should do it to elicit a certain response that's a good life lesson in general I think yeah yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right, and then one last thing. I've, I've sure. taken up a lot of your time, and you have a no, big event fine. tonight. No, that's fine. Listen, I get, I, this is an excuse for me to sit in this room <laughs> and not have to run around like a lunatic <laughs> having to get stuff done. Yeah, tonight's the big, the big tournament. The big um, boxing match. Right? You said you do stand-up comedy now. Talk yeah. about that a minute. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah, I also do magic for the blind. Really? Yeah. That's my way of getting back to the community, you know. I do it for you right now, but I have to say to die a lot, you know. But so, wait, how do you? How does a blind person get to see magic? Well, you say to die, and then they know things happen. They oh, love. They <laughs> I'm love, gonna get a phone call on that yeah, one for sure. They love card tricks. <laughs> now, so how did you start doing the stand-up? Um, it was uh, Mick Foley uh, was a former partner and a friend, and he he's wrote several books, several of them were New York Times bestsellers lists, and. Uh, He's been going around for quite some time doing, I guess you could call it stand-up, it's not really stand-up. He does um, stories about his career, mm-hmm. and then he uh, kind of makes you know, makes them funny and entertaining as he's telling them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been doing this show for quite about, I think, six years, and a promoter in Australia uh, knew of our on-air relationship, and... Um, Whenever he writes books or anything, he always takes cracks at me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he had the idea of me accompanying Mick on the comedy tour and me being the opening act. And then Mick coming out, doing his uh, story, and then uh, us coming back out for like a question and answer. Mm. And, uh, and it was fun. I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was the closest thing because I've like done acting in some low budget films and things like that and the, but then they were very enjoyable and they're uh, a different challenge um, but you don't get that immediate feedback that feeling that sense of okay that worked hmm. you had to you have to wait sometimes forever and you don't know if what you're doing actually works within the what you're trying to accomplish until a year or two years later um, but uh, being up on stage really reminds you a lot of being in the ring because you, you're literally connecting with the audience right then and there. and mm. um, You get to 
try different things to see if you can manipulate their emotions to entertain them. Yeah. And, uh, and that's fun. That's, it reminds me a lot of wrestling. So, but I don't have to get thrown around. I don't have to get stomped on. I don't have to get punched. And all I have to do is just stand there with a microphone and go, you know, try to say something that's remotely witty or yeah. uh, funny. Yeah. I hope and hope it's funny. <laughs> hope that somebody finds it amusing. Do you have your own personal website then so people can follow you that career path? I have a website, but I've never gotten it actually. I've got the URL, but I've you never do? actually. You do? Okay. Good which to is know. the real Al Snow, but I've never actually. So social media is truly the best way to it. It is the best way, you. yeah. All right. Instagram, Facebook. Snow. Yeah. Twitter, it's all the real Al Snow. Okay. Well, real Al Snow. Thank you so much for Thank sitting you. down. And, um, I, really I hope that I was it. human enough for being yes, human. absolutely. Oh, good. You Thank were, God. You were exceptionally human. Good job. I was worried. <laughs> I was Actually, it was like, you know, a little, I, there was a little bit of pressure last night thinking about this interview. I'm thinking, I don't know. How to be human. Nobody knows, really. I don't know how No one knows the secret. It's no? okay. Mm, no, we're all figuring it out. Well, thank God. Yeah. I'm not the <laughs> only one journey. that's lost. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everybody.